HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I'm Lisa Held, a food journalist and podcast host presenting Behind the Label with American Humane. Produced by Heritage Radio Network for Springer Mountain Farms, this podcast series dives into what the American Humane Certified Label... HRN is offering complimentary business memberships to 50 Black, Indigenous, People of Color-owned food businesses this summer. The deadline to apply is July 31st. Each business membership, a $500 value, is an advertising opportunity that will allow businesses disproportionately impacted by COVID-19 to connect with HRN's listening community and promote their work. To apply and review the terms and conditions, go to heritageradionetwork.org B-I-Z. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Vanessa and Kim Pham, founders of Omsom, the ready-to-use meal starters packed with the specialty sauces, aromatics, seasonings, citruses, and oils at the foundation of many Asian dishes. Sold directly to consumers on their gorgeous website. I was just on there again. Omsom <laughs> is the product of Vanessa and Kim's hard work, but also their collaboration with iconic chefs from Vietnam, Thailand, and the Philippines. Vanessa and Kim created Amsam to start making Asian condiments feel representative of the changing DNA of the U.S. and to reflect the depth and nuance in Asian recipes, tastes, and traditions. Welcome, ladies. Thanks for having Hello. us, Allie. <laughs> so excited to be here. Happy to have you both. I feel like I've been watching your journey um, from the, you know, the sidelines. Um, I mean, we've been talking about when you do launch and when you get it off the ground, you're coming <laughs> on the podcast. And I feel like that's been <laughs> like a year plus. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Geez. That was, yeah. I remember, I know I came by, um, your location in New York city and, and spent time with you there. And then I know Kim talked to you even earlier than that. Right. Yes, yeah. this was still when we were in our like early, early days. Like we were still kind of like, we have this idea, Holly, yeah. <laughs> and we're working on it. And now it's out in the wild and it's, yeah, just so surreal. It's so crazy, isn't it? I'm so excited to hear about the whole journey um, because I think, it, first of all, it, what you've created is so beautiful. I was just on there again. The website looks incredible. I've played with the starters. I think what you're doing is great. And the fact that you launched it in the middle of a pandemic is certainly <laughs> <laughs> not everyone can say that. Um, so let's talk a little bit just at the beginning about, you know, the two of you guys, I love having siblings on, I love hearing about the dynamic between you, um, you know, where you grew up, 
how important food was. You know, you did not, both of you, from my understanding, did not go into food immediately. Um, so, I mean, Vanessa, why don't we start with you? You can sort of paint your picture <laughs> and then Kim will hear your side of the story too. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. So yeah, Ali, you're right. We are sisters. We are, um, so we're the children of Vietnamese refugees from Boston. Um, and so we grew up in a town, um, that was 98.5% white. And so to us, you know, initially food was, you know, something that was a little bit embarrassing of a topic for us because, you know, sometimes kids would make fun of our lunches um, or they would come over and be like, what's that smell? I like, you know, if, if my mom was making right. like bun ba hue, which is like a lemongrass beef noodle soup, kids would be very confused by the, the lemongrass aromatic. And so, you know, I think, I think growing up there were some mixed feelings around, you know, how we um, interacted with and, and displayed food as part of our identities. But as we got older, I think that became all the more a source of pride for us and having come from a place where we used to um, feel sometimes embarrassment around it. I think as we grew into ourselves and our identities, food became such an important part of the way that we communicate who we are, or at least part of the beginning of our identity and our culture. So, you know, to me, one of the stories that I think back on as far as like, how did I build such a, an emotional connection to food. I think about coming home from school, doing homework at the kitchen counter for hours, and my mom cooking a kind of home-style Vietnamese meal over the course of like three, four hours alongside me. Um, and, you know, we wouldn't talk much. I'd be focused, but it was kind of her way of showing love and um, and and support and, and that she was there for me. So, so to me, food is very much a love language. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I'd love to, you know, toss it over to Kim and see what she wants to add to that, but also we can tell you more about our journeys too. And Kim, just so I'm clear, Kim, are you the younger sister? I am the older sister you are the by older 22 sister. months. Okay. <laughs> I just, when it, the bio was Vanessa and Kim, and I wasn't sure if that was like an order of age or just like the ring of what sounded that I don't know. I wasn't sure. So, okay. so Kim, you are the older sister. Did you have a similar experience as Vanessa? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely resonate with this idea of kind of like, you know, shame being very much a part of the narrative for a while as we were kind of reckoning um, with our identities. But actually, I'd say like a, a little bit about kind of part of my inspiration from for Amsam is actually rooted a little bit in anger. Um, I think as I was getting older and kind of stepping back into my identity as a first generation American, um, I would kind of look up and be like, wow, you know, the, 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 the DNA of this country is changing, where a third of the U.S. is now comprised of immigrants and their children very much like Vanessa and I. Yeah. And yet when you step into most mainstream grocery stores, particularly down that quote unquote ethnic aisle. Right. Um, Great name. <laughs> yeah. Lol. When are they going to change that? Should, right, right. Should, yeah. Shouldn't exist in the first place. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I just, you know, we were just, I particularly was really unhappy. I was like, this, these products and this aisle and the reason this aisle exists doesn't feel at all representative of the future of this country and the future of American dining tables. Um, and so I really, you know, like personally felt motivated to be a part of that change. Um, and like, yeah, how can we contribute towards a more equitable future of these products, which means having folks by um, kind of of those backgrounds involved in every step of the process. And so, yeah, that that's definitely kind of how I think I, I stepped into it um, and stepped into food, particularly as a reflection of our identity um, and, and as of, of our cultures. Was it always, I mean, so who, I mean, which sister basically was like, let's quit our jobs and do this thing? Well, um, <laughs> I, so the backstory is that, you know, if we were to summarize me and Kim and how different we are, which we are very, very different. Um, <laughs> there are many things I could say, but one of them is that historically I've been much more risk averse. So between the college I went to and the first job that I took out of college, 
I was very much trying to optimize for, you know, doing the safe thing, making my immigrant parents proud. Um, And Kim had worked for startups and was in VC and was like a little bit, she was excited about early stage because of that risk. And so um, it was actually during my time at Bain when I was a management consultant that I finally thought about becoming an entrepreneur. um, And I just thought it would be such an amazing way to um, it impacts something that I felt deeply needed to change. And then also, um, really accelerate like my own learning curve. And I think that's what gave me the, the, the courage to finally give Kim a call and say like, Kim, like, what do you think? And then at that point she was like, Vanessa, I've literally been waiting for this day. Um, (laughs) and so she was, she was ready for a while, but she just didn't know if I would be ready. So yeah, that's kind of how it happened. I love that. Kim, what was your, I mean, aside from the fact that you were waiting for the day, what, like, were you like, I'm out the minute that <laughs> So actually when she called, I had just, um, not just, I was actually in the middle of a extended backpacking trip through Latin America. So I actually backpacked through Latin America for about seven months after leaving um, a a job in venture capital in London. And so I think like in my own way, I was kind of looking for my next move. I was like, all right, like travels are coming to an end soon. And so when Vanessa, you know, told me that I literally was like, oh my God, yes, I will do whatever it takes. Like to make that happen. And so, you know, obviously we had the call, but then there was a bit of time between, you know, like us kind of wrapping up loose ends and things like that. So I ended up kind of uh, freelancing and being nomadic for another year or so while Vanessa wrapped up. And I was just like, I don't care what it takes. I don't care where I live. I just know I want to start this business with her. I've long thought that we would make like really complimentary co-founders um, we're super close in age and, and super close as friends. And so, yeah, it just, it was like super serendipitous and I wonderful. <laughs> and Vanessa, what was like the call? What was the company? Like, what did you say on that call? Because obviously these things, you know, metamorphosize and shift and change, but what, what was the, let's start this. Yeah, at that point, we did not know what it was that we were going to start. We just knew that both of us would optimize for working on something that would create kind of more of the future that we wanted to see over anything else. Like we weren't the founders that were like, where's the white space? Like, obviously, we were very thoughtful about about that. but at the same time, I, you know, I think a lot of people just find a gap in the market, whether or not they feel very close to that gap emotionally is less important. But for us, I think one of the things that we knew as founders we would be aligned on is caring really deeply about our, our mission and our values and wanting to make sure that that aligned with who we were as individuals. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, our skill set's completely different. How we approach problems, completely different. Um, but when it comes to the heart of, of Omsom, we are like one and the same. So I think that's a huge part of, of what, why we entered into this together. Well, also, may I just add really sure. quick <laughs> that it wasn't actually even a call. Um, <laughs> Vanessa had actually come to visit me um, uh, down in Bolivia when I was traveling. Uh-huh. And it was actually like, I think in the middle of like a salt flat in Bolivia that she was like, I'm thinking about it. And I was uh, like, well, yes. Even better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I love that. Okay. So I, you know, it, you will not be surprised that the co-founders that I've had on here that seem to be having either the best time working together or the more like the more success, I guess, working together actually have completely different skill sets and different ways to approach problems. It seems to be, you know, a good, um, that tension in, you know, and that sort of, if you were both highly creative and couldn't, you know, spend a lot of time thinking about one thing, um, that might not be the best recipe, right? But the fact that you're, you are so complimentary and different. So tell me a little bit about that. Like, Kim, how would you see your skill sets and your approach to problems? And in, in turn, what, what have you kind of gotten, what's in your domain a little bit 
um, when it came to sort of getting Amsam off the ground? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I kind of can explain it best by saying like, I'm very much right brain and Vanessa is very much left brain. Perfect. Like it's, it's pretty crazy how like almost straight down the middle it is considering like we're from the same set of parents and you're from the same childhood. Um, but at Amazon, I very much, um, look over everything kind of brand marketing and creative related. Like my background, despite working in venture capital was very much on the community side of like, how can we build a community, um, and a brand that folks can really rally around. Um, and so I really think like, that's where I really enjoy kind of this very like loose creative thinking. I'm very much like a short-term executional thinker. I'm like, what's in front of me? How can I knock through that? And working with Vanessa has just shown me like how important it is to have someone who can kind of pull out, you know, and, and see the much more strategic long-term way of thinking. Because it's just, it hasn't really been my gig. Like I think when you work in startups your whole life, you're very much used to like zero to one versus one to 100. And I think Vanessa has done such an amazing job of just complementing my own skill set, but also kind of pushing me and, and pushing me to grow, um, as a co-founder and as a manager and as a leader. Um, it's, you know, oftentimes very humbling to have your younger sister be like, Hey, here's how to do something different. Um, but I think it's a, a really welcome, um, if sometimes difficult kind of like humbling and, and reckoning of the ego, as I like to say. Um, but yeah. No, it's true. Like my ego has been reckoned a lot. Oh my God. A yeah. couple months. <laughs> I mean, like a lot of ego reckoning. And I didn't even think I needed that much reckoning, but turns out, you know, it yeah. happened. Right? <laughs> um, and so, you know, those are the, those are the learning times. Those are the fun times. That's when you can sit and, you know, next level or level up or I don't know, whatever it is that millennials say. Um, (laughs) But Vanessa, so now we, now we have this image of you as um, maybe more systematic in your thinking, a little more logistics oriented. I'm guessing you are more focused on ops. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I would say that generally, I'm more of a strategic thinker, pretty data-driven. I like kind of like analyzing. I'm pretty analytical. I like connecting all the dots. Um, So I do do operations um, and logistics at OMSOM. I also do kind of product and R&D. And then I also do kind of um, like financial and strategy. Uh, I will say that the operations and logistics has been a huge learning curve for me. It may be more technically in my wheelhouse, but from a content perspective, it is all new information to me. So I've learned so much. Um, And wow, food ops, what a beast of its own. Like, yeah, yeah, really, really a lot to chew there. Um, So I've, I've learned a ton. I think that's when one of our one of our discussions was, you know, the co-packer discussion. Um, yes. On. I mean, listen, just because your brain, you know, wants to systemize and wants to make sort of an organized structure out of things doesn't mean that you're expected to know how food gets industrialized. I mean, it's, really, <laughs> it's like crazy stuff if you think about it. Um, oh, my gosh. And, and hard. So so how that that took you guys a while that part of it like and was that the big thing that needed to happen like to get you to launching or like what were some of the kind of iterations that you went through or what were some of the big oh wait we thought we were doing this but hey maybe if we do this you know those moments maybe Kim Uh let's start or Vanessa let's start with you since we're you were already. sure yeah i mean oh yeah we had wow the, the, those moments that you're describing we had a lot of those in different areas of the business i think i think that's like yeah half of what getting a startup off the ground is is those moments yeah. um and i would i think on on the op side of the business there was several of those around formulations and r&d and then also around sourcing like i would say that's where we really spun our wheels the most so on the formulation side, it was just um, being super iterative um, and uncompromising about it 
led us to do so many different versions um, to really get to the best possible um, product. I mean, there was one one of our products, we had um, a whole kind of approach to manufacturing that we completely changed and had to bring on a whole other kind of like food R&D specialist slash food scientist to ensure safety around it because we didn't want to make a compromise on a very critical, bright, tart, citrusy flavor. Um, And so that took months and so yeah i think there were a lot of those moments where we just completely underestimated how long something would take and what the route looked like to getting there um and and so we're actually in the process of developing um, a couple of other products right now which is super exciting but i think this time around we're hopefully being a little bit more realistic as it's not our our first rodeo but our second um so (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully there's something to be said for that. And then the second piece is around sourcing. I mean, we, um, again, are really uncompromising here. We're bringing in ingredients um, at scale that no other brands are bringing in. And that right. has been um, an area where we've really had to lean in. Like, we're truly, we've had our parents call and speak in Vietnamese to different suppliers and stuff to help us with that process. Um, So yeah, that's been something that I think was a really heavy lift and we've had to be super resourceful and creative and pursue so many routes that ended up being dead at total dead ends, you know, so you just never really know. Um, So on the offside, that's kind of what it's looked like. Kim, do you have any of those sort of moments on the brand story, you know, identity? Oh, Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So actually, we went through like a complete rename. (laughs) Yeah. And a rebrand. So um, for those of you who are like true OGs, um, Omsom used to be called Oxtail. Yep. Um, And we really love that name because it just like paid homage to like a, a really kind of beloved ingredient in a lot of um, kind of like non-Western cuisines and particularly in Vietnamese cuisine. And yeah, we had built this gorgeous brand around it. Um, But then as we're kind of getting closer to launch, we just realized like, oh, like a lot of folks are getting confused. They think we're like a meat product, right? Like oxtail. Um, And like, that's going to be especially tricky um, as we enter retail. And so we had to have like a really hard conversation where we're like, oh, we just got invested in this name and we built a brand around this name, but it ultimately is going to serve us long term. And so kind of had to go back to the drawing board and literally every way on the brand and visual identity side. Um, and thankfully, you know, I, we, we love Omsom now and it's, yeah. I think, actually a, a much truer representation of us and our ethos. Um, but yeah, I mean, yep. that, you know, you just learn as first time founders, like there's just going to be things and delays that you never would have expected. And then obviously, you know, the pandemic hit. And so um, just had to learn how to just stay agile and roll with the punches. (laughs) It's funny. We're going to take a little break and then we'll come back. But I, I, what you just said reminded me so much of like my first year having Haven's Kitchen, like the actual cooking school. Mm -hmm. And a year after we opened getting like our first PR thing and being so grateful that we had a year to kind of just figure out a little bit the difference between what was in my mind's eye and what was real. You know, like had it come earlier, it wouldn't have, like we wouldn't have been ready for it. You know, like it's all of this time and stuff. It's not, it's not delaying you. It's actually like enriching you. Right. You know, and it's frustrating in the moment. Um, but it's, it's really good advice that you just gave to some founders out there who are probably rather frustrated right now. <laughs> um, so we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back um, and get deep into some fun stuff. I'm Lisa Held, a food journalist and podcast host, presenting Behind the Label with American Humane. Produced by Heritage Radio Network for Springer Mountain Farms, this podcast series dives into what the American Humane Certified Label really means. We're looking inside the farm certification process, beginning with the moment a farmer expresses interest in becoming American Humane Certified, 
all the way to a consumer seeing the seal on store shelves. And American Humane is our country's first national humane organization, founded way back in 1877. Now we certify nearly 1 billion farm animals each and every year. Despite that growth, uh, roughly 90% of U.S. farm animals are still raised without the benefit of independently verified science-based standards. Subscribe to Behind the Label with American Humane wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm back with Kim and Vanessa Pham of Omsom. Um, so something I wanted to talk to you guys about, which I think is very timely and something I'm thinking a lot about. Um, I had, um, I don't know if you know, I think you do, you know, Sana from Diaspora, but yeah. I had her on the show a couple weeks ago and, you know, we were talking and this was before sort of everything at Bone App. It, it was actually kind of during, and I didn't even know what was going on. Exactly, I mean, it was like a weird time, but there is a lot of, I think, attention right now, and rightfully so, being focused on you know the difference between appreciation and appropriation. And you know, as a white woman, I am putting out these sauces into the world, which we don't claim are ours. Um, we certainly hope not to be taking credit for anything. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's a tricky line and it's something that we're putting more and more thought into, especially as we grow. Um, and one of the things that I think you guys have done so beautifully, um, is go to chefs of these, you know, places that your sauces or your starters are representing, whether it's the Thai or the Filipino or the Vietnamese, um, and working in collaboration with chefs that are deeply of those communities and representing those communities really beautifully. Um, so I'd love to hear, was that always part of the picture? Do you how does that work for you, I guess? And how does that, wh what does that relationship look like? Um, and I guess just if you have thoughts about appreciation and appropriation, I'd love to hear them. And I'd love any advice you want to give me. Yeah, first off, um, Allie, thank you so much for this very thoughtful question. Um, it's clearly reflective of something that, like, you know, you've been thinking a lot about. And so, yeah, I, th I like I really appreciate this question. And I appreciate, you know, this conversation around it because it's I know it's something that Vanessa and I deeply care about. Yeah. Um, I, I can't speak for Vanessa here, but I know that, you know, for me in particular, like, as I said earlier, like a lot of my fire in Amsam was rooted in anger. Um, of a lot of companies um, or products that I felt were profiting off of the back of POC communities and cultures without um, compensating, without um, like amplifying yeah. and without giving credit. And so for us, it was very much this idea of like this reclamation and, and celebration. That idea was built into like the very roots of Amsam. Like it comes from being Vanessa and I. Right. Um, and so I, I, yeah, it wasn't something like, Oh, we tacked on of like, Oh shoot. You know, this is the thing people are caring about. This is like who no. we are as first generation Americans um, and, and daughters of refugees. And so, yeah, as we were starting to build out this business, we were like, we deeply care about these Asian cuisines, but you know, we're two Vietnamese sisters. Like we can't tell the world how to eat Filipino food. Right. And so we were like, if we're going to do this, we have to do this the right way. And it means having folks of those backgrounds involved in every step of the process. And that's what our tastemakers are. They aren't just like a chef that we slap on at the end. You know, right. they are very much like a part of everything from um, R&D and recipe development through to sourcing all the way through our content and marketing. And they also are compensated for their work, not in just a once off fashion, but they actually receive royalties on every product that's sold. Yeah. And that's um, that's. Huge ladies. Well done. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I was just like, you know, like this is what I wanted to see. Like I know right. I personally, as a Vietnamese individual separate of Om Sam, you know, I would see, 
you know, chefs purporting to be experts in cuisines that they like, you know, spent two months in a country learning about or, you know, um, making something trendy without actually giving credit to the the cultures and communities from which they came from. And that I know that personally just made me really unhappy. And I was like, I, you know, if we're going to do this, we have, we have to do this like for real. Um, And so, yeah, we have, we work with incredible tastemakers who not only have wonderful restaurants where they sling really beautiful dishes from, but I think they are all kind of at the cusp of showing the world what modern Filipino, modern Thai, modern Vietnamese is. They're really kind of pushing the boundaries on how this cuisine is interpreted and is innovated on um, at a national level. Because I think something that we think a lot about is this, this idea of authenticity and how it's actually a burden for many POCs. Um, and the chefs that we work with are all, you know, from their cookbooks to their dishes on their menu, to the restaurants and the themes that they talk about and, and, um, prompt dialogue around. They're all folks who are like, Hey, you thought you knew what this cuisine was when we're showing you like what it could be in the future, what it's going to look like, how folks are changing it, morphing it, innovating on it. Um, and we're really, really excited to just continue to amplify those folks and give them a platform to continue to tell their story. Yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 really well done, and I think um, it's very obvious. You know, I think part of so people have said, you know, in the in the past with me, you know, I've I've asked this question of people sort of all along, and you know, part of my I kind of came at it for a while as like, well, I'm clearly not making, you know a my the the nutty lemongrass sauce is very much a derivative it's very much an inspired by it's there's Mm -hmm. i'm not claiming it's a satay sauce i wouldn't know the first thing about you know i didn't grow up i grew up in new york right so and i'm it's so i think for a while i sort of just didn't want to put anything on there because I was worried or I was nervous that, you know, why is it Thai and not Southeast Asian? You know, there's lots of Indonesian in there too. And how do you even determine where something is from when it's so cloudy? And those lines of nationalities are determined by colonialists anyway. Like there were so many questions, I think, and so much that I wanted to not jump into that I think honestly mm. for the first chunk of it I just decided not to even try mm. um and I'm looking at that and feeling like that was probably a mistake you know I mean it's something to, it's I think it's it's tricky and I you know I mean you can hear me I'm asking these questions yeah because I think for that sure. You know, one of the answers along the way to me was, we'll work with chefs from those communities. And then I was always sort of like, but I feel like in the past when I've seen chefs work with big companies or even little companies, right, right. stuff gets written out of the picture so quickly. And that's my nightmare. You know, I don't want to have someone be out there and then not do right by that person inadvertently for whatever reason, however it goes. So I just want to applaud you. I think it's great. I think it's great that you figured out a way to do it and to compensate them, not just give them, you know, a boost because that doesn't mean all that much, you know, in the grand. Yeah. Yeah. Thank first off. Yeah. Ali, thank you so much for your vulnerability and sharing that. Like I know, you know, it's, it's not an easy topic and frankly, like, a you know, 30 page academic paper could be written about this. Right. Um, and so I, I don't think any of us, you know, have all the answers and I really applaud you for kind of doing this work and, and reflecting on it. And I think that's super important, um, for like all of us, not just POCs. Like we can only, you know, like we have to all do this together. We're all in this together and it takes like all the lanes. Um, yeah, I guess for me, how, how I personally think about it is like, I, I don't think it's about making, like, how do I phrase it? I think this concept of authenticity is really difficult. Yeah. Um, it's, it's essentially almost like a construct, right? Like it, totally. authenticity um, 
Bettina from Munchies did, like wrote a really wonderful tweet the other day where she was like, authenticity is a construct and it's created by memories and nostalgia. And so therefore, when you try and make everything authentic, everything falls flat right. in some ways. And I just thought that was like a really interesting um, perspective on it. And so I don't think the goal is for like, you know, only people of those backgrounds can make those sorts of dishes. Yep. I don't think that's what, what, what anyone hopefully is, is pushing. I think what we're pushing is that like, if you're going to pull from, you know, historically marginalized communities and pull their flavors and pull from their culture and pull from their communities, right. then like equity and compensation could come, should come with that. Like, I don't think it's, you know, hey, you know, Allison, you're white, so you can't be touching satay sauce. I don't, I don't think that's fair. Right. And frankly, not how a lot of these flavors um, and therefore cultures, you know, should be like restricted to. Right. Um, but I think it's just about this, like the other piece of it, which is, yeah, the compensation, the amplification and the credit. Yep. So I, I think as long as those like, you know, continue to be your North stars, however that is, um, in a way that obviously isn't tokenist in nature, then yeah, that's, I think that's like the best that we can do as, as founders. Yeah, no, I really, I really appreciate it. And this somehow turned into a little therapy session, but I appreciate it. Um, you know, I closed the school a couple weeks ago and it's, I had always been like, yeah, I can totally do both companies easy peasy. And now that oh my I'm, goodness. Like, I've closed the school and I, my brain is kind of now completely open to the sauce company and, you know, we're redoing mm. the website. We're redoing, you know, there's so much now that now that we don't have the brick and mortar, um, that this stuff is just very, very much, you know, on my mind. Um, and so I, I appreciate you, um, using your time on the podcast to, to talk to me about it. But I think that what you're doing is such a great example of it and what you're building is so beautiful. So I just want to. Thank you, Allie. We're first of all, we're so sad to see um, that you closed down the school. I know for us, like that was such a, um, a, uh, a, a wonderful representation of, of where like uh, the New York kind of food community would coalesce. And um, we, we took many meetings in the cafe downstairs. We yeah. went to some dinners upstairs. What an amazing space. And so, um, you know, we were, we were so bummed to see that, but like you made such an impact on it. So uh, we're excited that that kind of lives on through your, your sauce brand. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, we, you know, there's just, Corona, man. Right. Yeah. <laughs> For real. Yeah. For real. It kind of sucks. Okay. So let's get back to, I want to talk about two things in the next couple minutes. One is, um, let's talk a little bit about Corona and the fact that you <laughs> launched in the middle of it and, you know, what, what were the plans? How did they get derailed? And what have you found sort of, even though they didn't work out the way that you planned them to? you know, what have been maybe some bright spots or maybe sort of readjusted expectations of launch. Vanessa, why don't we go with you on that one? For sure. So, yeah, I mean, I I think because we were, you know, we're, we're so close to our tastemakers and we witnessed their, um, their struggle firsthand or sorry, secondhand. Um, I almost feel like our struggle just pales in comparison to what the hospitality industry has faced. Um, and so a lot of like what we were trying to do during this time is figure out ways that we could just be even, you know, with our small platform, with our small, um, resources, how could we possibly do something to try to be helpful to them? That was definitely one of the things that, um, was really kind of, um, heartbreaking to, to, to watch. And, and we just applaud them for all their strength and resilience throughout this time. Um, as a brand, we definitely also faced um, a number of hurdles. I think on the op side, just everything slowed down. Every vendor that was supposed to support us logistically um, like couldn't help but but let us down. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just us. It was every business. Um <laughs> And so there were just a million delays. Um, people were harder to reach. So it was it was definitely at every turn. Um, you know, we would be facing small frustrations at, at every at every off the ground around launch time during COVID. So on the off side of things, I'd say it was really hard. Like one of the one example was um, for some of our 
um, trial production runs, we were supposed to be there on the floor and we couldn't because of travel restrictions. So I literally had to FaceTime into production runs. I had to have them overnight me product so that I could try it. And it was, it was a lot of getting creative around how could we, you know, get the big, like the highest amount of transparency into the process. But yeah, it was pretty exhausting, but I would say probably the biggest piece was more around content creation, which Kim can speak to as she had to do a lot of that in house, um, where we originally had professionals, um, hired for that. So yeah, Kim, yeah. tell me, because you can't tell. I mean, anyone listening should go to the Amsam just website and look at it. And I would not think that there was any, <laughs> I would think it was all kind of locked and loaded, you know, March 5th. <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank you so much for saying that because behind the scenes, it was me frantically like running around like a headless chicken. Um, but yeah, basically, you know, tons of uh, compromises, changes, obviously on the marketing strategy side, being a food brand, you know this very well. Yep. So much of food is IRL and in person. And so yep. we had so many plans to do these dinners and pop-up showcases and all of that, you know, obviously got thrown out the window. Yeah. by mid-March. And so m- me and Emily, my, my marketing director, we were like, oh crap, like, okay, we're, we got to do all these things that we thought we were going to do in person, like building community, which is done so much easier in person. Like yep. now we have to do this online. Yeah. And so that really like forced a fundamental shift in how we approach like building this organic community around Amsam. Um, but yeah, like on the content side, you know, like literally the week of shelter in place in New York City, I had a really like one of our biggest shoots planned um, around like our, our recipe photos and our recipe videos. And it was like with a stellar team, like X Food Network as X right. BuzzFeed, you know, uh-huh. um, and then, you know, kind of, you know, shit hit the fan. And yeah. so I ended up shooting, prepping, creative directing, propping every single one of our recipe videos, like wow. the, my hands, I was cooking and then would run over to my iPhone right. camera. Cause that's what we <laughs> used. Um, run over to my iPhone camera, set up the lights. I had never done any of these things before, but like, you know, when you're a founder, like yeah. you're the janitor, yeah. you're the fundraiser, you're the HR team. Like it's I kind of all the, of the um, things. <laughs> I was the three PL for the first you know, six hours of my day. I, I brought my sons in, but we had 40, shipments of sauce oh my gosh I, brought, I drove to the where like distributor warehouse on friday in the like tropical storm um <gasps> loaded oh. a car with you know a pallet of sauce had to get it into my refrigerator in like you know quickly um and then today shipped out <laughs> like oh my days. gosh so, um but you know i think every founder that's why that's why we we there are babies these companies we yes. you know we clean its poop and we like get thrown <laughs> up on it, you know, and we see it walk for the first time and it's you know it's real um i mean i guess the good news for you guys also is that you launched directly to consumer so in a way you know had you been launching at retail that might have been even more challenging because, you know, we're facing an issue right now where, you know, we're, we're in stores now that we weren't in, in February, but people don't necessarily, they're not in the stores right now, like ho-humming around looking for a new product. And a lot of them are ordering on Instacart or Prime or shipped or whatever it is. And they have to know to want you to put you in their carts. So it's, it's, it is, I mean, I'm sure you know that, I mean, I'm sure this is why you chose to launch this way. I I'm imagining you want to build a big D to C community and then go into stores. Is that the plan? Yeah, that's definitely, you know, kind of where we see, we still think, you know, over 80% of grocery decisions will still happen in the store. Um, And so we, we definitely see Omsom in the store eventually, but for us, we really wanted to be able to do D to C first to tell our story as a brand to tell our to tell our tastemaker stories as well. And the real estate of our website really allows for that. And also, yeah. um, I think engaging our community, engaging Asian Americans, having a direct line of contact to them, and making sure 
they feel that our products honor and celebrate their their backgrounds and um, their communities. Like that's so important to us. And I think there's there's no other way for us to really do that well except for D to C to start. Yeah, no, it's very hard on a package and it's even harder in a grocery store. Like we're just trying to say like, hey, put this on fish. And we're like, huh, how do we tell that story? I mean, and it's like not a story. Um, you know, it's hard, it's very hard to communicate with consumers, especially if you're in stores and you can't do demos and, um, right. so it's great that you're getting off the ground this way. Um, and ha has it been, what has been to your expectations and what has not been to your expectations? Let's do that. Kim, what about you? Oh, that's a great question. Um, what has been, um, I honestly just feel like I didn't really have expectations walking into this, to be right. completely frank, just because I was like, I feel like the world is upside down. I don't know if folks are like, you know, like you said, are in a place to be discovering new brands. Are people like I had known that folks were making sourdough and growing scallions on their windowsill. Right. <laughs> but I was like, are they going to be open to these dishes and these flavors and this kind of unapologetic storytelling? Like, are we about to get you know, like ripped a new one. Like I, you know, I, I, I didn't know. Um, and so I guess that, yeah, I just wasn't expecting kind of the reception, obviously, you know, like we were not expecting from a supply chain perspective for so many folks to be ordering. We sold out, um, within 72 hours, which was really crazy. Yeah, um, yeah, it's, it was, I knew I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, we're taking a big bet and we're putting this thing into the world and like, we're going to see how it goes. Um, but I don't think any of us just, foresaw like the enthusiasm and the excitement and the like you know folks in our dm saying like hey i feel seen by your brand oh, like right. you know that's in, that's incredible like yeah. we have a slack channel um in our team where we just kind of like share screenshots from our customers and emails that we get through customer service and like i feel like i shed a tear at least like once or twice a week yeah it's it's such a a, a privilege Yep. to do this, even though the days are really brutal. <laughs> yeah. And I, th I mean, I think that's why we do it. I mean, you know, if right. I ask, I would say nine out of 10 founders, when you say like, what's the best moment, they all say it's that these products are making a difference in people's lives. You know, not, not necessarily I feel seen, but this made my life easier or, you know, this made, this made me feel happy, you know? Yeah. Like, anything. I mean, I think that's why we, you know, I think going back to your, the, the, the dudes that look for the white space founders, <laughs> I, I don't really understand them very well. So I, I don't know what motivates them exactly. Um, and I wouldn't claim to, but I think those of us that started these things out of sort of a love or mm -hmm. a desire to make people feel good, um, when you do get that feedback, it makes everything else just, you know, fade away. Um, <laughs> Vanessa, what about you? What what was to your expectation? I don't know why I framed it <laughs> in this way, but. Uh, <laughs> um, I would say the, what was to our expectation was the taste of the product. We <laughs> were so committed to making sure that we hit the nail on the head there we didn't know how people would receive it. That was a huge question mark in our heads because, right. um, you know, tastes are very subjective. And that was something that really scared me. I, I thought, I just like imagined, I'm gonna get, we're gonna get all these emails saying, you know, this was too spicy. This is, you know, this is too fishy or something because we right. use fish sauce. Um, was, was a little bit nervous about that, but I did know that whatever we would put out into the world, it had to be at least what we wanted and what our tastemakers wanted too. Yeah. Um, and so we worked really hard to make sure that happened. And um, at least I was like, you know, whatever people say, at least we know that we did everything we could to get it where we wanted to be. And so that, uh, that I knew putting it out there that we would, we would be able to at least um, do right by our tastemakers. And that was super important to us. Yeah. Um, as far as what, you know, what, we didn't expect. Yeah. I mean, definitely 
you know, for all the analytical work that skill set that I, I gained at Bain, I could not have predicted the demand that we would have gotten. Um, yeah. Hence the 70, 72 hours. I think that at that point I was like, oh, dang, I really need to revisit our projections. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was, it was definitely amazing to see. I think one of the things that um, really amazed me was how you know, engaged this kind of Asian American audience was, but I was also really pleasantly surprised to see how folks um, of backgrounds that we didn't quite expect to, to be early adopters of ours kind of um, were purchasing from us and, and amplifying what we're doing. We were on the Today Show the other week, which was so much fun. Yeah. Um, it was a really uh, thoughtful segment. We really, we were so thankful for it. Um, but, you know, that day... The, the customers that we were receiving, they were sending us emails, asking us questions, and they really kind of were coming from all across the country, different age groups. We never expected, you know, like yeah. uh, kind of folks, uh, our parents' generation and older would be making CSIG in the middle of America, you know, yeah. like that we could help make that happen. And that was such a, a cool thing to, so, to see. So cool. That's great. <laughs> ah, I love talking to you guys. Okay. Last question for both of you. Kim, best advice for a new founder? Oh my gosh. Um, oh, trust your gut. Have conviction. Good. I think that's that's really changed the game for me. It's just like trusting in myself. Amazing. Vanessa, best advice? When, you know, set, building out your crew of mentors, investors, advisors, Find people that, you know, are strategic in whatever you need for your business, but also find people that will look out for your mental health and your well-being. I think that having those people in your corner is, is so important for the journey. Amen. Matt, thank you for looking out for my mental health and my well-being <laughs> and not being me when my headphones don't work and I don't have to work my computer. Um, you are the best engineer from afar as well. And Kim and Vanessa, thank you so much for coming on the show. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. Um, and good luck, good luck, good luck. Go to Omsom. Can they order or is it still back ordered? We're actually back in stock this week. <laughs> okay. They're back in stock. So you can order. Um, listen, it's really amazing and so good. Um, all right, that's it for this episode of In the Sauce, and I'll be back next week with another one. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at Facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please... Join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.